3. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3. I hope you'll come back and be with us for the evening service tonight. And uh, sharing the message I believe is important and also practical for you, for me, for our church. Making a difference in the enemy's backyard. I hope you can come to share that time with us. Romans chapter 6. This morning we begin reading in verse number 3. Romans 6 verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Message this morning, believe it or not, you are dead to sin. There are two or three things that I think are very, very important for you to get a grip on. And one of them we've already covered, I think, in chapter number 5 very well. And that is chapter 5, verse number 12. For those of you who may be here for the very first time in our study through the book of Romans, I don't think there's any greater truth that you confront than Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered to the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That uh, verse of Scripture is a key to the whole of the book of Romans as far as I'm concerned. Because first off, it says it doesn't matter if you were born in this life and you lived it perfectly. You never, ever sinned. If from the time you were a baby in diapers in the nursery of the New Life Baptist Church until the day that they rolled your casket in here in front of this pulpit and then they rolled you out and took you to one of the area cemeteries and they placed your coffin in the ground and you never once sinned for that whole time, you would still not go to heaven. That's what Romans 5.12 says. And what it says is you wouldn't go to heaven because it's not just your sin that you commit that's the problem. It is the fact that back there in the Garden of Eden there was a man by the name of Adam. He was the first man. And when Adam sinned, sin passed upon all men, for that all have sinned in Adam. And that's what verse 12 says. That's why babies die. You ever wonder? Babies die because babies are sinners. Oh, not that they sinned. They never committed a single sin. But they are sinners in that they are connected to Adam. And anybody and everybody who is connected with Adam dies. And that's proof, verse 12 says, proof that they have sinned. So everybody sinned in Adam, whether you ever commit a sin or not. And that's why it's not enough to just say, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. That won't cut it. You have to take care of and deal with the breaking of a family relationship and the establishing of a new one. And that's established only in the new birth in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first truth. The second truth comes in Romans chapter 6, and it is that which is the crux of what the message today is about. That is, believe it or not, you're dead to sin. It's probably, to me, at least, the most difficult thing for a believer to believe. We believe that Christ died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and if we place our faith in Him, we take by faith that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. There are a few people in this room who believe that by simple faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin. 
We believe we've got to sin. We believe sin is just a given. Yes, you're going to do it. You've got to do it. That's the way it is. This passage in Romans chapter 6 says that is not true. It is not true. When Christ died on the cross for you, He not only paid your sin debt and the penalty for your sin, He broke the power of sin over you. Romans 6 is saying now, sin no longer has dominion over you. You do not have to sin. Did you sin this week? Absolutely. Will you sin today? Absolutely. Will you sin tomorrow? Absolutely. But it is not because you have to. It is because you choose to. You choose to. You choose to. It is not forced upon you. It is not a part of your person. It is you, your choice. But you will. As long as you're in the flesh, you will choose to do it. Several reasons that we'll get to next week. What we're into today, and let me begin by a short introductory. It's short to me, long to you. Short introduction. A couple of things. I love to read, as you well know, and uh, in my library of hundreds of books, I have this week picked up four different books. I, for some reason, just in reading these books, came across four things that strained my belief. You know, when you say, that's unbelievable. You know, that's my favorite word. That's unbelievable. And I read this, and I read four of these. I'm going to give them to you, sort of set the stage for Romans 6 study. First thing, I read this. Quote, this is, all these are quotes. Quote, that it's ironic that sexuality and nudity, which are meant to be private, are now put out for public consumption, while spiritual convictions, which are meant to be strength to the public polity, are now for private expression only. End of quote. That's amazing, isn't it? Almost unbelievable, but it's true. Second, and I quote, with all of our access to everything that is supposed to make life easier and more satisfying, man, intoxicated with the abundance of options, finds some chains unbreakable. With that known, it is not surprising that boredom, boredom is a very modern word. It, in fact, has no counterpart in ancient or in the medieval languages. End of quote. That's interesting. Boredom. They didn't have a word for boredom. They didn't know what boredom was. If you got up every morning and the first thing you did was start thinking about how to fix lunch on a stove of which you had to cut the wood and bring it into the house, and I doubt you'd be bored either. Huh? You see, we've come a long way in little, all these little things that was to make life easier have also, in some cases, made life boring. Isn't that interesting? When I read that, I said, that's unbelievable. I quote again, German Emil Brunner, quote, listen, made the amazing suggestion that Adolf Hitler should be posthumously given a honorary doctorate of theology degree because he awakened Europe to her Christian heritage by showing her what the world would be like without Christianity, end of quote. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I quote the last one. I read that, quote, Alexander the Great conquered the world. But he could not overcome his own alcoholism, end of quote. And that's where we are in Romans chapter 6. That's last one concerning Alexander the Great. But it's not just about Alexander. In fact, Romans 6 is not about Alexander the Great at all. But it's about people. And it's about people's ability to conquer that which seems unconquerable. And it's in the sense that which Paul the Apostle writes it in a way that even he has some seemingly concerns about it, and we'll point those out as we get to them. But for the truly saved, born-again person, Christ not only paid the penalty for your sin, but he also broke the power of sin on and in your life and in mine. 
Charles Wesley caught it, and you probably sung it, but didn't realize what you were singing. Charles Wesley's song, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. You know what the line says? It says, He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the captive free. You see, he's saying that Christ died on the cross, paid his end But he also broke the power of canceled sin. That sin for which Christ died no longer has power over you. Charles Wesley, a Methodist, caught it. Well, I wish that some of our modern Methodists were as insightful of theology as was this Methodist. And help us Baptists come to grips with some of these things. The fact is, Wesley saw it and understood it. He breaks the power of canceled sin, the sin that has been paid for in Christ. What he also did when he died on the cross is he said to you and me by that act, you do not have to sin. You do not have to sin. The domination of sin in your life has now been rolled back. I bear my heart to you, and I mean this carefully. I bear my heart to you and probably describe yours all at the same time, and that is we are so much aware of our sinful nature that this great truth that we've read probably a multitude of times seems improbable and almost impossible and probably out of reach for anybody. So when we hear somebody say what I've just said moments ago about this business of canceled sin and our not having to bow down to it, we somehow say this, oh yeah, right. We understand the penalty of sin has been paid by Christ and that from God's point of view that we are and have been declared righteous in Christ. But the natural evil that's within every single one of us in this room makes it awfully difficult to grasp or embrace the fact that the power of sin has been broken and replaced by what Paul called resurrection power. And resurrection power is to be alive in Christ and not alive to my old life. And that's what we got when Christ died for us. When Christ died on the cross, it is a matter that he died for our sin. Absolutely. He paid the penalty and he broke the power. And because now I'm in Christ, I don't have any dominion over me of that sin or of that old life. And fact of the matter is, it's amazing that it is by faith that we appropriate both of them. We appropriate the fact that Christ died on the cross for my sin and he paid my sin debt. We believe that and we, we believe it. We have faith in that. We take God at his word. But did you know that the other is by faith also? We have to believe that when Christ died on the cross, the provision was made for the cancellation of the power of sin over us. And we don't have to bow down to that, but it is activated by faith. Both the payment for our penalty of sin, the provision for the resurrection-powered life were provided when Christ died on the cross. And both of these are activated by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. It's as simple as that. Romans chapter 6, our text for today. Note carefully, if you would, it starts out in Romans 6, knowing this. Knowing this, this is a truth they knew. And this is a truth that the church of Jesus Christ in this year, I think, knows little of. A few weeks ago in this very city, and I've heard it from three different sources, so I embrace it as truth. They had a program down here where they had a Christian rock group come in and they gave some kind of uh, rock concert message. In the end of that concert, they gave an invitation. At the end of the invitation, there were several young people who came forward. In fact, one account said 22 in the 22 young people that came forward, there was a young man who stepped forward and spoke to those folks who made that decision. He said, in essence, as the quote from all three sources came to be, I think uh, the summary of the three contacts or statements was this. He said, you have now taken Jesus as yours. Now he doesn't tell you, you can't go back and do all that you've done before. You just take Jesus with you when you do it. Let me tell you something. You talk about a farce 
of a statement from anybody who had any kind of oversight for a group of converts, if there were converts there. See, salvation is more than taking Jesus. It is certainly a lot more than saying, well, add Jesus to my list of what I've got, you know. Jesus Christ comes into a person's life and transforms them. That's why it's called conversion. Conversion. If not, they just call it a remodel. You know, are you a remodel? No, I'm converted. Been saved by the grace of God. I'm not a remodel. I'm not a rehash. I've been saved by the grace of God. I have a new life, a new heart, and a new direction, and a new home in heaven. And it all comes because of my relationship to Jesus Christ and what he has wrought in me. These people Paul was speaking to, Romans 6, knew it. And he says, knowing this, you know this truth. By the way, I think we miss so much of God's provision by being ignorant of so much of God's word. That's why you ought to be in Sunday school. That's why you ought to be in Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Because God's people miss out on so much because they're just simply ignorant of it. We didn't know that. I didn't have a clue about that. That's why we don't, because we don't handle God's Word with the concept that this is God communicating to us what He has for us. And that's exactly what the Scriptures teach us. I'm reminded that all of us, myself included, ought to be recommitted, renew a commitment to 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Here's what it says. Paul writes this to young Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16, Study to show thyself approved unto God. And if I stopped right there, two-thirds of the New Life Baptist Church would fail the course. Study to show thyself approved unto God. If I ask you how much time you spent this week studying the Scripture, I would be embarrassed as you would to how much. Most of us, unless we're studying for a Sunday school class, unless we're preparing to preach a message, unless we've got something on, on, a, on a program to which we're committed that we're having to work on, most likely, <laughs> not most likely, absolutely, the likelihood is that the only thing you did this week was pick up God's Word, and I hope you did that, And you may have read a chapter, a few verses, and laid it aside and went on your way. You'll forgive me, beloved, but that's not studying the Scriptures. That's not cutting it. That's not getting it done. And in our fast-paced instance, this society, we want this kind of spirituality. We want all the benefits, and we want all the things that God's Word offers. We want to be the servants, and we want to go do the soldier thing. But we don't want to pick up the manual how to do it. We don't want to learn how its directions give us what to do, how to do it, and what we're to be privately about the whole matter. What makes it possible, Paul says to Timothy, you study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And here's the key to the thing, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not wrongly dividing it to fit your situation and make it convenient for you to state it, but rather rightly dividing the word of truth. But he goes on, verse 16, but shun... Not only some things to study, there's some things to shun. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You know what I think in vain babblings are often, and profane babblings and vain babblings? I I think a lot of it is a religious jargon. You know, being religious and saying a bunch of nothing. I just say to you that that's what the Scriptures are saying is, you are responsible to know What the Bible teaches if you're a Christian. And you're going to be held accountable for that. Well, he didn't give this word of study to show thyself approved unto God, but just so his ears would ring. And he didn't give it because he needed to fill in two verses in 2 Timothy. What he gave it for is the very purpose so that you and I would understand what provisions God has made for us, embrace them, and appropriate them. And it's interesting to me 
We too often, by means of radio and television and video and internet, we shun what we should be studying and we study what we should be shunning. And it's easy to fall into that. But I say to you, beware of preaching, teaching, ministry that deals mostly with feelings and emotions and success in life as wealth and health. And be reminded that this is a spiritual journey and it needs a daily dose of God's word, of prayer, of fellowship, and a responsibility to tell what you know as a witness of Jesus Christ. I would also say to you in verse number 6 of chapter 6 of Romans, he says, knowing this, that our old man... You understand the old man in that context is the person we were by our first birth in Adam, that old self. And then verse number 6, he goes on, Our old man is crucified. Note carefully, is crucified with Christ. Crucifixion doesn't just hurt, crucifixion kills. That's the whole idea of it. It means death. What Paul is saying here is, and listen to this carefully, he's saying that there is no such thing as a true believer, a true Christian who has not been crucified with Christ and died. You are not a Christian if you have not been crucified with Christ. You are not a Christian unless you have died with Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians believers. He said this in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or former lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness." What he was saying to these people, since you have come to this decision of trusting Christ as your Savior, it's not enough just to learn the peripheral things. You've got to learn the most central thing, the most practical core thing, and that's this. You've got to put off the old life, and you've got to pick up with a new one. And you've got to say no to sin, and you've got to say yes to righteousness. God declares, in essence, that nothing which has its source in the old Adamic life, that which is born in our relationship to Adam, will he ever accept. The best illustration is what he said in John chapter 3. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not having anything to do with the old fleshly people. I'm having everything to do with those who have a new birth relationship with me. If you're here and you've never had a new birth experience, you have no relationship with God. Period. You can pray until your eyes bulge out of your head and your hair turns blue. And you will never get through to God. The relationship with you and God starts with a simple prayer. And it can come from your lips as long as it comes from your heart. And that is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know where I stand in my relationship with you. And my standing before you is absolutely alienated. I have no relationship with you. And right here, right now, I understand that. And I understand your son died for me on the cross. And right here, right now, I believe on Christ for what he did for me according to your word. At that point, the Bible says, you enter into the family of God by a process of conversion or a new birth. You're born again. And when you're born into God's family, then the whole relationship with the Heavenly Father changes. He is your Heavenly Father, and then you can pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. You can pray, Lord, I'm in a mess. I need out. Please help me. You can do that, but you can't do that until you've first done the other. You cannot pray and ask for God's help and expect all that to happen. Would God help? I don't know what God would do or wouldn't do in that. I just know this. The scriptures teach conclusively that his responsibility that he holds himself to is that he gives and answers prayer of his children, those who have a relationship with him.
And this morning, if you don't know him, you should know him, and you should begin by praying that sinner's prayer. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Here's what he wrote to them in chapter number 3 and verse number 5. He said, chapter 3, verse 5, he said, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived, when ye lived in them. That's what you were. Lived is in the past tense. But now, verse 8 says, but now. That's a transitional time word. Back then you did that, but now you do this. You also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. Point made. I said it before. So much of what we don't have in provisions made is a lack of knowledge of God's Word. And verse number 10, he says, Put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge. The more you know about what God did through Christ for you, the more you can embrace of those provisions and utilize them to live for the Lord in a way that can honor Him and at the same time be a blessing to you. And verse number 10 finishes by saying, After the image of Him that created Him. I say all that to say this. The point is, it is as you come to know Christ as your personal Savior, there's a putting on of the new man because we have put off the old man. We have turned our backs on the way we were, and we've embraced the new man in Christ, the new life in Christ. He's given us a new spirit, a new heart, a new goal, and a new home and a new family. The fact of the matter is, this is a, a truth that we talk about, the truth shall set you free. I don't know of any truth in the Bible that that fits more succinctly with than this truth right here. To understand this truth could change a person's life and change every believer's life. That is nowhere more than this one here. Romans 6 then says something. Note carefully what Romans 6 goes on to say. Knowing this, something they were expected to know, that our old man, that's the way you were in Adam before you came to faith in Christ, is crucified, not was or might be, but is. And now note the two little words, that, T-H-A-T, it's repeated twice in verse 6. The first one is, The reason for our being crucified with Christ is so that the body of sin might be destroyed. By the way, a word concerning the grammar of the text. Might be does not mean in doubt. The Greek text does not allow for that. The word might be is the same word to say, it, it, you know, that there's a, there's a sense of assurance here, a certainty of it. The word might in this context does not have a, a suppositional doubt to it. It's a reality. So don't count the word might be here. That the body of sin might be destroyed. The ideal is it's an assured thing. It's an absolute thing. So the old man is crucified or we are crucified with Christ so that the old man, the body of sin, is destroyed. Then the second that. And that is to make sure or make possible the second one. And that is that from henceforth, that means from here until the time you walk into the streets of gold in heaven, that from henceforth we should not serve sin. So that was context is saying, verse number six is saying, knowing that the Christ being raised from the dead, excuse me, verse number nine, died in death, excuse me, I'm lost my verse. Verse six, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, and here's the reasons, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and number two, that henceforth or from this time till we get to heaven, we should not serve sin again. Those are the two points that come under this idea of you really embracing by faith the provisions that have been made for you on the cross when Christ died for you. 
sin should not have the same relationship to you. Notice that phrase in there, the body of sin. That's not referring to your physical body, but to the indwelling sin that is personified, as Paul has written about it, as that tyrant that rules over a person. And by the way, the word destroy can be, uh, you can get the wrong idea there. When you read that word destroy, you might say, uh, well, I get this idea that I read that, that my trouble with sin is over forever. I'll never have any more trouble with sin because it says right here that it might be destroyed. Well, let me tell you, it does not carry the ideal of annihilation. In fact, let me tell you about that word. The Greek word that's used here is that word that is used in Romans 3 and verse number 3. Let me just show them to you quickly. As I wrote them into my notes, you should make a note of them yourself. Romans 3 and verse number 3 says, For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God? Now watch the last two words, without effect. That's the same word. Destroyed over in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 is translated by the words without effect in verse number 3. In chapter 3 also in verse number 31, same Greek word is translated, Do we then make void? Same Greek word in chapter number 3, verse number 31. And then if you go further than we are in chapter 6, on to chapter 7. In chapter 7, in verse number 2, For the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from. Same Greek word. The idea here is that uh, we understand this phrase in Romans chapter 6, that... that uh, the ideal of sin in the body being destroyed, you understand it in the same sense that as I've read to you before, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14. Remember that? I use it at almost every funeral. Romans or Hebrews 2, 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that's Christ, that through death he, Christ, might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil. I might ask you, did Christ die on the cross? Yes. Is the devil destroyed? Is the devil destroyed? Not in the sense that he's annihilated. But that verse of Scripture said he destroyed him. Well, what does he mean when he destroyed him? He means the same things that he meant back over here in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6. It means very simply that you count it as dead. You count it as destroyed. Do I, do I think the devil is destroyed in my day life? I meet him every day on some facet. No, I know he's here. But I know something else. When Christ died on the cross, he defeated him as a foe. And he is just waiting for his time to be cast into the lake of fire and be bound for a thousand years. He, all that's yet to happen to him. But he's a defeated foe in that he has broken the power that he has over me. I don't have to do what the devil says to do. In fact, that's no excuse to sin anymore. People say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, the Christian can't say that. The devil's kids can say that. But no Christian can say, well, the devil made me do that. No, he didn't. If you're a Christian, when Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin, and he broke the power of sin over you, and Satan was the culprit who had the most effect in making sure that that sin was carried out by his temptations through his imps and his demons, and also by our sinful flesh. So the fact of the matter is the devil is not destroyed in the sense he's annihilated, but he is defeated, and he is rendered so, and he simply is you and me believing it to be, right, or be so that I can activate the reality of it. And that's the word used here regarding this business of sin destroyed. Note something else, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's an interesting thing because as Paul writes later in chapter 6, in verse 17 he said, But God be thanked that we were, or ye were, the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. That's an interesting thing because... His point is, only as you embrace and enjoy our being freed from the mastery of sin in your life, 
Are you really able then to be a servant of God? Nobody in this room can be a true servant of God while still serving sin. That's his point. You're either serving Christ or you're serving sin. Now, you may serve sin discreetly. You may serve it in a way that nobody around you would be aware. And you may serve it in such a way that there's absolutely no sense in which uh, uh, that you personally feel any difference about. It. You know, you just do it and that's the way life is. And you may think everything's hunky-dory. But the fact is, what you're doing is you're robbing your service of the Lord's side. You can be a Christian and still be under the dominance of sin. There's no doubt about that. But if you activate by faith and say, I don't have to, Christ made a provision for me not to have to be under this, then you can get out from under that. But many Christians still do. And what happens is their service for Christ does not count. They're not gaining rewards. They're not going to get a well done, the good and faithful service because they got an account so stacked up here of service to sin that they never will get out from under. Simply because they do not ask by faith, believe it. Chapter number 6. Paul writes in verse 22, he says, But now, being made free from sin and become the servants of God, ye have your fruit unto righteousness, or holiness, as the word is, and to everlasting life. He's saying you have an option. You have a choice. It's either this or this, but it can't be both. And so the fact of the matter is, if you're serving sin, I don't care what you're doing, what position you hold, you're not going to be serving God. And Paul says it's as clear as the nose on your face. It's either one or the other. If you know Christ as Savior, you're no longer under the tyranny of sin. You have the power of choice to say no. Notice verse 7 before we close. In Romans chapter 6, verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's true both in the physical and a spiritual realm. And you know, you need to keep before you that God not only saved you to take you to heaven someday, but He saved you to set you apart unto Himself. That while you're going to heaven... That you might live a life that would impact other people for Him. Reflect Him and represent Him. To reflect God, you must be holy. Peter talked about it. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 14, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Gets back to the same thing that Romans 6 really has as a theme. The theme of Romans 6 is your sanctification. You living a life that's set apart to God. Not only for your sake and your good, but for God's glory. Sanctification is God's process to make us holy so we can best reflect Him and represent Him while we're heading home. And if I work and allow Him to work in my life, the work of sanctification, without a doubt, is the will of God. In fact, here's a Bible verse that says that specifically. Listen to it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 1, 2, and 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye have or would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. This, listen carefully how specific this is. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. The whole ideal in the context is may deal with the issue of fornication. But the greater context would deal with the idea that in God's mind, He has set us apart for a representation of Himself and to reflect Him in His glory. And He's saying, that's my will for you. Whatever else will you may find in mind, this is the will of God for you. I want you to reflect me and represent me. 
And it's hard for you to look at that and say, well, you know, I thought I was. Let me make a couple of points. One, he wants you to not only as his child, he wants you to behave like his child. Uh, I saw a brief excerpt of a program last night, and and it was about child rearing. And it gave this, uh, you know, this real TV kind of idea. They had this video in this home. And this mother had gone off with a child to the store. And as she had come home from the store, her husband greeted her. And uh, she's crying. And he says to her, what happened? And she says to him, the people at the store asked me to take my kid and leave. Now, let me tell you, that'd be, a, that'd be a bad news, huh? If you can't take care of this kid, get this kid out of our store. That's an incomprehensible kind of statement. And he said to her, well, what are we going to do about it? And she said, just send him to his room. And he said, I think we ought to spank him. And she said, oh, no. And I said, oh, yes. And left the room. Let me tell you something. That's about the same idea. You know, would you think in terms of if you could look at it as a spiritual way, you know, we go somewhere. We're not acting like God's child. We come home and, and one of God's people serving systems says, well, what happened? Well, he kicked us out of the store because we're not acting like God's people. Can you imagine that? But there happens all the time, all across this country, people who don't act like God's people. The thing is about nobody kicks them out of anything because this world likes it. You see, you make them feel better about themselves. You take a drunk, and he knows he's a drunk, and he can't walk a straight line if his life depended on it, and then he finds a Christian who sort of gets caught up in a desire for drink, and he drinks. You just made the drunk feel better. That's all you did. Oh, you'll have consequences to your side, but his side is he feels better. He's not as bad as he thought he was. Here's a Christian guy. He got drunk, or he drinks some. Hey, I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Christian lie. Well, this guy lied. Well, I feel better about my lying. Well, I took some of the store, but hey, just a little thing wasn't a big deal. I mean, this people, these people own a lot of property, and they have all this merchandise. They'll never miss this. Oh, well, great. I feel better about my shoplifting since you Christian did it. That's good. I feel better about that. I cheat on my income tax, but I, oh, well, we all do. That's just something we all do. I mean, the government's got all this money. Who cares? They never miss it. Don't worry about it. It's just a big deal. You see, the whole point about it is that what God's interest is not just saving you. He could, he could have done that a thousand ways. But he's interested in you reflecting him as the holy God of heaven. And that's what sanctification is all about. He made provision to save you when he died on the cross. What's amazing, he made at the same time a provision for you to have victory over sin. And he inculcated it into the system of what we call sanctification. And there's one thing you need to get a hold on. It is all activated by faith. I ran across this in my reading this week and it fits this story. It's a, a story is told about two Irishmen. One guy's name is Pat and the other guy's name is Mike. They found a most unusual turtle. The animal's head had been completely severed from its body. But the turtle was still running around as though nothing had happened. Pat maintained that it was dead. Mike maintained that it stoutly argued that and waxed louder and louder until presently the two of them were in such an argument about the fact that one saying it's dead and the other said it's not they decided to get another guy, O'Brien. He could come along, this guy could come along, and he could arbitrate the matter, they said. And whatever O'Brien's verdict was, they would accept as final. So O'Brien took a look at this remarkable turtle, and he said, It's dead, but it doesn't believe it. 
And let me tell you, that's Romans 6. That's exactly the problem with many Christians. They are dead to sin, but they don't believe it. And since they don't believe they're dead to sin, they, they just sort of go on and sin. They don't activate by faith the same faith that it takes to save you, that what Christ did on the cross is the same faith that can set you free. And we didn't get that. So I'm here to tell you today that what Romans 6 is telling you, that you don't have to bow down to sin any longer, anymore. Am I telling you you can be sinless? No. Your flesh is still here, and as long as you're in the flesh, I know what your flesh is going to bid you do, and I know what the devil's going to encourage you to do, and I know what your pattern of life is. I know what it's going to mean. But I am telling you this. It will, all of those cases will be your choices. Nothing that's forced upon you. The devil can't make you sin. The Lord won't make you sin. And the angels of heaven are pulling for that you wouldn't sin, but you're still in the flesh, and you will sin most likely. But as you do, you ought to confess every single time, I did what I did because I wanted to do it. I did this because I wanted to do it. Nobody forced me because I don't have to. I, I'm out from under all dominion as far as sin is concerned. I, I do not have to do what sin wants me. I don't have to. But if you do it, you do it because you will to. Not because God or the Holy Spirit or the devil or the angels or whatever else made you do it. That's the truth of Romans 6. Sin is the master of every person in this room who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And every believer in this room who has not by faith embraced the provision made for them when Christ died on the cross to give them resurrection power. So it's either or. You can either be lost and be under the mastery of sin or you can be a believer and not believe what Christ did for you was sufficient. By the way, that's the only reason that Paul could write to those Christians at Corinth and say, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And the Lord will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. How could he do that if the power of sin had not been broken? It has been, so he's saying, there is no way. You have to sin. There will always be an exit. There will always be a way out. You'll just have to take it. And you can't say the devil made me do it, obviously, because the power of the devil was defeated at the cross just like sin was and like death was. The first issue on the table this morning would be this, and that is, have you ever in your time of living believed on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ as the salvation that you need to have a right relationship with God? If you understand that uh, your relationship with God depends on what Christ did and not on what you do, you'll be a long way down the road understanding the Bible truth that Romans teaches. Not by works of righteousness which I have done, but according to His mercy, He saved me. Why is it not according to my works? Because there's nothing in me as a, a son of Adam that could ever earn merit or righteousness with a holy God of heaven. Only one could do that, and it was the sinless, spotless Son of God, the Savior of the world, and only He, because He was virgin-born. He has no taint of sin. He has no connection to us other than He came to this earth in flesh, but flesh that did not and had not sinned. And then it could be offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, yours and mine. And I'm here to tell you this morning that your sin, no matter how bad it is, has already been paid for. It's already under the blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, in this place, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, we would invite you to come and allow someone to take a Bible and show you how you can be saved and be secure in it. And also, not only have the penalty of sin paid, but also have the power of sin canceled or broken. 
where you don't have to sin ever again. I pray that you'll take this truth to heart because it is a monumental truth that Paul speaks of. He will elaborate it more on in chapter 6, and then when we get to chapter 7, he makes it a little more personal with how some of the complications of it, how to understand it, embrace it. But I hope you'll stick with us. Hope you'll be with us next Sunday. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and thank you for what the Apostle Paul has shared with us under the inspiration of your spirit. Thank you for the truth that is revealed in this text. Thank you that we are not under the bondage of sin and that we are not under the dominion of sin. We do not have to sin. We have a choice. And we can walk away. And I pray, Father, that you'll work this into our hearts and our lives and make it count. Make it count not only now but for time to come, weeks and months and years ahead of us. Help us, I pray, to activate it by faith, to believe by simple childlike faith. What Christ did on the cross not only paid for our sin, but it also freed us from the power of sin. And we're no longer under the dominion of sin, the dominion of death, and the dominion of Satan. Thank you so much for these provisions. Now help us to live in them. And for any man, woman, boy, or girl in this building who has never believed on you as Savior, I pray for them right now that you may convict their heart of their sin, their alienation, and separation from God. And may they come and allow someone to show them from the Scriptures how they can be born again. I pray for believers who ought to come for baptism or church membership or just for prayer. Whatever the need is in every heart, help us today to make these decisions confirmed by our acting upon them even now at this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? Turn to 282 in your hymn book. We sing the first stanza. And around here we don't sing a lot of verses of an invitation for a very simple reason. We, we believe that once God's Word is taught or preached and the Holy Spirit is always faithful, we believe that it is a matter that uh, we ought to act upon that quickly. And we don't believe me urging and exhorting and pleading with you is my ministry. My ministry is to preach the Word. The Holy Spirit's work is to convict you of the Word. And you are responsible to act upon that which you know to be truth. So we don't sing a lot around here. We don't try to persuade you with an emotional sway. We believe it is the Holy Spirit's conviction that brings good decisions, eternal decisions. And we trust Him to do His work. He is always faithful. So don't expect to sing long and long and long. Usually a verse if no one responds when we're done. But if God has spoken, we want to help you. We want you to decide and act upon that which you've heard. And especially if you're here without Christ. We want to be a help to you. So as we sing, 282 verse 1, you act upon it, would you? As we sing together, please. Just as I am without one plea. God has spoken to your heart, would you come? God has spoken to your heart, would you come? God has spoken to your heart, would you come? Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you being here. Hope you'll be back with us for the evening service, 6 o'clock this evening. Choir practice at 5, 5.30 men's prayer. We'll observe communion in the evening service. I hope you'll be here to join us in that. Otherwise, have a good afternoon. Rest yourself. And remember, this is the Lord's day. Rest and be glad in it. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the salvation we have in Christ. And thank you for the provision we have for the power of canceled sin to be broken. Thank you for the blessing that is to each of us. And help each of us to appropriate it more faithfully and fruitfully. And Father, we do again today thank you for our graduates. Please bless them, lead them, and direct them. And bless those who will be graduating today, Matt and Brent. 
be with them in a special way and pray father that you'll bless their steps along with justin and angie guide each of their days activities and the direction their life will take may you be honored and glorified in all that they accomplish in the years that will follow thank you again for this good day and for your sunshine that you push upon us in such a wonderful way brighten our paths and lift our spirits we're grateful for that Bless us. We go from this place. Give safety and protection to your people now. Honor yourself through our activities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You're dismissed. Amen.